Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I wanted to take a moment and tell you about one of my favorite companies, Paleo Valley. They make some of the world's best health products, and I really love their Essential C Complex which is one of the only immune boosting products on the market that's made from whole food sources of vitamin C that your body can effectively absorb. You see, most vitamin C products only contain a fraction of vitamin C called ascorbic acid. This is the synthetic form of vitamin C and it's often processed with GMO corn. With Essential C Complex, you get the full spectrum of vitamin C with all the additional nutrients, minerals, and bioflavonoids that make it so powerful in the first place, the way nature intended. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains three of the most potent sources of vitamin C on the planet, the unripe acerola cherry, the amla berry, and the kamu kamu berry. The acerola cherry alone is 120 times more potent than an orange. The daily recommended amount of vitamin C was decided upon based on the amount of vitamin C you need to not get scurvy, not really the amount you need for a stronger immune system. And this is why Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains 750% of your daily recommended value of vitamin C, completely sourced from nature, so you can thrive, not just survive. You see, vitamin C is an extremely fragile nutrient and it can very easily lose potency if it's not processed correctly. So Paleo Valley has worked with the most responsible manufacturers they could find to gently break down each of these fruits. And to guarantee no vitamin C was lost in the processing, they recruited a non-biased third-party tester to confirm it contains the amount they put on the label. Because in times like these, when everything seems uncertain, your immune system shouldn't be. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is non-GMO, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and made with all organic superfoods. No fillers or flow agents that you'll find in most supplements. Nothing weird, just food. Check out paleovalley.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS, just simply my last name, JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S today to get 15% off your order. Hey friends, this podcast is actually an interview that I did a few years ago for a project I worked on called the Keto Edge Summit. The Keto Edge Summit was basically where I interviewed, I think it was like 36, 40 of the top 
keto experts in the world. We talked about all things keto. We talked about how to get the best results out of the diet. We talked about biohacking strategies to do to help improve your digestive system, to help improve your brain health, your energy, and really get the most out of life. And so this interview is with one of my good friends who is an expert in many different areas. And you'll see as we, as we dive into this topic, just, uh, just how deep we go and the quality of the content that you get. And so just a reminder, this is uh, roughly, you know, this is, I think I did these interviews in like 2017, 2018, so a few years old, but uh, the content is just as relevant and uh, I know that it will make a difference in your life. So you will enjoy this content. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just leaving us a rating or review, your reviews really, really count. They mean the world to us and they help us get seen by more people. So if you just go to your Apple iTunes player and uh, rate us and leave a review, that will really help us uh, just be able to help more people and get this information out to the masses. Thank you for doing that and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Keto Edge Summit, where we are dispelling the myths, helping you overcome the hurdles, and empowering you to improve your brain and your body through the ketogenic lifestyle. I'm your host, Dr. David Jockers, and today I have got a really good friend of mine. This is Rodney Habib, and uh, Rodney and I came across each other um, here recently, and he is an internet celebrity. He's known for his blogging, video making public speaking, and pet and dog activism. He's one of the most creative and engaging people that I have ever met. I love talking with him. He's the founder of Planet Paws, the most liked and visited pet health page on Facebook, and the host of the recent big hit docuseries, The Dog Cancer Series. He's passionate about pets, and in particular dogs, and kind of this idea of using a ketogenic diet and lifestyle to really help pets and help dogs to reverse chronic diseases and really live their best lives. And so, Roddy, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Keto Edge Summit. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm super excited about it. Uh, you know, you and I have all of these wonderful talks when it comes to uh, ketosis and the ketogenic diets, and I'm so excited that you're putting this together out for uh, the people of the world. This information is really needed right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is, People have been following a ketogenic lifestyle really since the, the beginning of time, but we never really understood the benefits of it. And now, you know, and, and we're going to talk about pets. We're going to really dive into that. This is how pets grew, evolved, and adapted for, you know, since the beginning of time. And, um, you know, we've just kind of forgotten that. We've gotten comfortable with consuming a lot of meals and lots of our quote-unquote comfort foods that um, drive us out of ketosis, teach our bodies to be lazy metabolically lazy, metabolically inflexible, and energy inefficient, and ultimately lead to chronic disease. And so, Roddy, tell us your story. I mean, I know you started, I was looking up how you, how you got going, and you started this pet store, Planet Paws, and of course, now you're an internet celebrity, you're speaking all around the world, you're creating documentaries. How did you go through this journey? Yeah, you know, you know, great question. And reality is, it's it's very fascinating what uh, trauma can do for us. I was listening to a, like an entrepreneurial podcast the other day where they were talking, where they said, you know, after the age of twenty five, uh, people shut off when it comes to new information unless something tragic happens in their lifestyle or within their life to where they're ready to listen. And and for me, Doctor Jockers, it was. 
um, getting my first dog, the love of my life. Her name is Sammy. And I wanted to do basically everything I could to keep that dog with me for all of time. Anybody out there that's not a dog lover, and I don't know who would that be in the entire world. I know you've got a dog. You and I have been oh, yeah. we're in Florida together. You just kept talking to me about your dog. So, yeah. you know, you, uh, there's seriously something wrong if you're not a dog lover. Uh, but that being said, you know, I was trying to make all of these decisions in my life to, you know, to have Sammy with me for forever. And in 2014, you know, she, she blew her ACL. And there was this uh, stem cell therapy procedure that could be done. Now, what's fascinating about stem cell therapy, I mean, it's a lifesaver, but it's also like a massive weapon if done incorrectly. And so in 2014, I uh, took Sammy to the vet, basically, and we performed stem cell therapy. And accidentally, they spun a cancer cell. And literally, within 30 days, uh, my dog had developed cancer. And from that... Um, you know, it was, it was a very life-changing traumatic thing for an individual. You know, you take the thing that you imagine, you take the thing that you love the most on the planet and then you go and you pay to put cancer inside of it. And, um, literally from that moment going forward, I changed my whole life. I stopped everything I was doing. I dropped my old job and I said, I have to I have to stop this and I have to figure out what to do. So yes, I, you know, I, I started traveling around the world. I had a initially a pet store called Planet Pause. Um, traveling around the world, I took my phone with me, which is probably the most, uh, you know, the most powerful tool in the world. And I brought people who I didn't know were following with me around the world, trying to figure out how to stop this cancer. This is where I stumbled upon you. I know you and I were talking about this. Um, there really is not a lot of information out there when it's pertaining to pets and the metabolic state of ketosis. Yeah. You hit the nail right on the head when you said, we were in a state metabolic state of ketosis probably for all of time before we uh, this overconsumption of food and this laziness that has plagued mankind. Um, ironically, when man became lazy, his best friend automatically had to become lazy. So, yeah. you know, pets follow in sort of that same disease funnel, those statistics as humans do. Cancer rate now, they say, is one in three uh, women, one in two men. It's one in three cats, one in two dogs. We know that uh, 60% of North Americans are obese, 60% of pets are obese. So sadly, they follow along that trend. And when I was trying to find that research, and thank God stumbling upon your work and your page, it literally put me on this trajectory of this new path where I had to find out, was this being done in pets? Could this be done in pets? Um, and if so, what were the benefits? And so really that is kind of how like my journey started and what really inspired me to film a, a documentary. Yeah, absolutely. And what did you find when you started really diving into how nutrition and lifestyle could impact a pet's health? You know, that's what a great question. And for me, what, you know, it's very interesting how the pet world works. One of my favorite sayings and now it's it's said all over the place that reality is coupled to perception what we perceive to be our reality what we perceive to be true becomes our our, our overall sort of uh, justification for what we do why we do the things that we do in the and for example in the animal world we're told that feeding packaged foods is science 
we're told that from birth to death, you should go buy these foods that would be uh, sort of on this shelf, if you may, and it's going to be a bag of science, it's going to be a bag of health, and if you were to go to your refrigerator and you were to pull something out of that refrigerator that would be fresh and healthy, your dog is going to have gastric upset, diarrhea, um, you're going to be up all night with the dog, and feeding fresh food is dangerous, and feeding processed food is health. Right. And that is reality is coupled to perception. So for pet owners, we perceive processed food as health. Yeah. And one and, and and so to address your question, you know, what did I learn? I learned that not a lot of people are really in tuned with what their pets should be eating. We allow the manufacturers to tell us. Um, Dr. Juckers, I traveled around the world and talked to some of the top PhDs and ex health experts in the world that when it came down to their pets, and I was like, so what do you feed your, um, your dog or your cat? Well, I buy packaged food and or I buy this grain free or I buy this. I came running to you asking you that first question when we were in Florida, remember? And you were, yeah. The breakdown that you gave, that's why I fell in love with you. I was like, holy smokes, <laughs> this guy has really done his research. But there's not a lot of people out there that really have that research or really know that. Yeah. And, and so I think the, the biggest hurdle for me, the biggest stumbling uh, what I stumbled on, uh, onto was the fact that nobody knows. And mm. it's sad that information like that's not out there. So I kind of made it my sort of my passion trying to inform as many people as I could, uh, you know, about these, uh, these wonderful discoveries of these fresh foods. Yeah, absolutely. So that's such a huge paradigm shift for most people because we see kibbles and bits and, you know, you go down the pet food aisle and it's just all these processed foods and they market them. It's kind of like the frozen food section where it's smart ones, Weight Watchers, like you literally think that's the healthiest section because everything's marketed towards health. You know, in the pet, pet world, it's all marketed towards health of the pet. But uh, we realize, hey, you know what? Actually, it's all artificial food. It's not real food. And of course, we know that dogs adapted and evolved off of real food, right? Things that they would kill in the wild or even possibly like, you know, I was telling you like, hey, my dog will go out and, um, you know, nibble on some grass, eat a little bit of dirt every now and then, which is so good for cleansing and detoxifying. Um, yeah. And so they just have adapted to, to nature and, and what, what will come their way in nature. And so, yeah, it's a huge paradigm shift right there. And so then you came across the ketogenic diet and lifestyle. And tell us more about how, what role that plays when it comes to pet health. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the big things about the the metabolic state of ketosis today is really really not only looking outside of the box, but seeing a lot further than what's just basically in that bowl. Um, ideally for a lot of people today, uh, the ones that are starting to research, and, and I'm sure you're going to find this in the human world, we're starting to understand when you hear words like GMOs, genetically modified foods, and maybe the glyphosate isn't the greatest thing mm. for us. It could be causing mit mitochondrial damage. We understand that we should be reading labels a little bit better, looking for things that maybe are organic, or, you know, less pesticide yeah. laden. We, those people that now that have become food warriors have really started to understand those concepts that maybe some of us find simple. Like, of course, you yeah. should be doing this. Of course, you should be doing that. What we're not aware of is what's metabolically happening once you've consumed these foods. Because like anything, you could fill up a giant bowl of organic foods but that doesn't mean that you eating it, myself eating it, or my dog or cat who eats it 
it's actually going to be a, sort of a, a metabolic good thing that they're doing, yes. say in layman terms, if you may. Yeah. yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me when I was traveling and speaking to a lot of these experts, reading your literature, talking to PhDs, talking to scientists, breaking bread with these scientists, was the fact that there is a really big deal between uh, the metabolic state of ketosis mm -hmm. and eating, let's say, a ketogenic diet at libidum, yeah. if you may. What the state of ketosis, uh, what I had to find out was, I mean, of course today, the keto, the, the keto word is, is booming. And yeah. I'm sure there's going to be a zillion people who are really into sort of uh, the ketogenic diet now that we'll be watching this uh, keto summit that you're putting together yeah. and be like, okay, so you know what? I went out, I, I saw this little powdered keto pack. I took it. I'm in ketosis, right? They poke their blood, they test their ketones, it registers yeah. 1.0, but they don't understand that they're registering the sauce that they just basically put in their body. Is your liver producing beta-hydroxybutyrate? Right. Are you actually in a, in a state of ketosis? So what I found out on this journey was that there is a huge correlation, not only with being in a metabolic state and health, but there's also a huge correlation between being in a sort of a, a metabolic state of ketosis and longevity. Yeah. A lot of people right now, when you hear that word ketosis, and believe me, because I, I'm in the, I'm sort of in the trenches with a lot of these people, um, it has become sort of a, is it an Atkins type of diet? Is it uh, the new Mediterranean diet? Is it a fad? You're, you're hearing everybody around the world right now saying, well, you know, this could quite possibly be a fad like anything else, not yeah. realizing how linked this was back into sort of prehistoric times yeah. and how critical it was for the evolution of the dog. Mm. Um, we know and we have literature that can date back as far as even before the Bible. If you want to really get into this, uh, Odysseus, the, the Odyssey, Odysseus and his dog Argos. We have literature that was written back in times where Odysseus and his dog Argos lived to be 20 years old. And we can go back and we can see that in the 70s that dogs lived on average to be 18 to 19 years old, but mm. today we're only seeing the 10-year-old dog. Yeah. And we're lucky if we can get that dog to live to be 10. In fact, so now today when you go into your veterinarian, they're like, hey, look, your dog lived a really long time. He lived to be yeah. 10. But did he really? Um, all of this, this longevity and, and sort of all these statistics that I'm trying to refer to going back into time, things have changed very quickly um, with these with the overconsumption of food and with the fact that I don't know if anybody has ever been in a state of ketosis in, in my generation and your generation, unless they really tried it because of all of these things that we're, we're putting into our body. And I think the biggest thing that I learned from this, Dr. Jockers, is the fact that the metabolic state of ketosis, of putting your animal into these states, not only will increase their lifespan, um, not only will it heal the body, but it has the ability to be able to stop or reverse cancer. Yeah, so powerful, absolutely. And uh, you know, going back to how you started that, it's like this idea of, hey, you know, we always want, when I'm telling people about nutrition, whether it's for pets or whatnot, um, or for people, we always want a nutrition plan that's going to be maximal nutrients, minimal toxins. And so people understand that, and that's one of the reasons why we gravitate towards organic foods, high-quality foods. What they don't realize is that anything that elevates your blood sugar is actually, even though it's not a chemical toxin, it's actually having a toxic effect because we know that sugar is an anti-nutrient. It actually takes, steals more of the 
the key nutrients and enzymes that your body needs to run metabolism than it brings in. And so you always have to, you always have to consider that whenever you're consuming a food is how much it impacts your blood sugar. And, uh, you know, we know with cancer, we know that sugar impacts, you know, we know that basically cancer cells have a lot more insulin receptors. They're going to gobble up uh, sugar. That's, they, they basically run off of anaerobic metabolism. So they depend on the form, the, the uh, breakdown of sugar and uh, ketones are a fuel source that we can really drive great energy from for normal cells. Very, very efficient, clean fuel for normal cells. And the cancer cells really can't use them effectively, so it wears them down. So it can definitely be so effective. And in the pet world, what animals that have you found that are most responsive to a ketogenic diet and lifestyle? Yeah, I, I want I just want to touch very quickly on what you just said. You know, we know that you know the average cancer cell can suck up almost two hundred times more glucose yep. than a healthy cell. But here's yep. the problem. We have enough literature in the human world now that we know that sugar can feed cancer. Yeah. I mean, there was just a Belgium study that was just recently released that showed that sugar can actually, actually aggravate and grow a, 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 a cancer cell exponentially. Absolutely. The problem is that hasn't made its way into the animal world. Yeah. You know, talking to doctor, about Dr. Thomas Seafried, um, yep. you know, one of the most brilliant cancer scientist that I've ever sat with, Dr. Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, yeah. and sitting down with these people in, in, in a room, they, said they, they couldn't have said it any more brilliantly to me. A cell is a cell. If it respires, it's going to respond the same. Mm -hmm. So if you, took the, if you took the cell of a mouse, a dog, or a human, you're going to see the same things. You cause mitochondrial damage. It's going to shift things inside that cell, activate oncogenes. You've got a cancer cell. You've got more insulin receptors, yada, 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 so on and so forth. But that doesn't work, Dr. Jockers, in the yeah. animal world because today, if you were to go on, if you were to do a quick Google search and go to the, uh, the University of Tufts, Tufts University in Pennsylvania, one of the biggest vet schools that we have, the University of, uh, of uh, Davies in California, these veterinary colleges will tell you that sugar has no effect on cancer. Right. And that is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. The second problem is all of the bags of food, today 96% of pet owners around the world are feeding packaged foods, pellets mm -hmm. and what have you. The regulatory board that right now regulates what should be on the labels of that food, what should be written on the food, it is not mandatory to list sugar on a bag of food. Therefore, not a single bag of food will list sugar. Wow. And the problem is that you can't make these foods with under 50% sugar. It just can't yeah. be done. And so the pet owner, imagine, no, not knowing that these foods are full of sugars. Again, I talked to some of these PhDs who had dogs. And when I asked them, what are you feeding your animal? They would say to me, well, I'm feeding my dog grain-free. On the premise that there would be, it's lower in carbohydrates, there'd be no sugar, where they didn't understand that that kibble has to stick. And mm -hmm. so they're putting uh, lentils, legumes, potatoes, tapioca, things that are so high in starch that these, that no matter what, whether it was grain free or not, it was 50% sugars. And so I'm really glad that you touched on the sugar aspect. Hopefully the people that are around the world that are watching this, that have pets understand that this is a problem that is also in the animal world, the dog and cat world. And although you may go to your veterinarian and they say, look, sorry, we just don't, nobody's going to fund a $5 million study um, to say that sugar feeds cancer. Then ask your grandmother. Because even your grandmother and your yeah. great-grandmother will tell you that you shouldn't be consuming those massive loads of sugar. But 
to address the question on, you know, the pets that are most responsive, it seems that it's almost all mammals. Mm. It seems that um, whether it be a dog or whether it be a cat, currently we have research right now coming out of the dog world, primarily heavily dense into the dog world, where we know that we have a basic guidelines of where those ketone levels should be. Yeah. Uh, there was three studies that were done uh, probably about 20, 30 years ago that said animal, uh, dogs and cats can't go in ketosis. It's impossible. And the way that those studies, if you read how they were structured, they were feeding fats um, at libidum with, lower, with a, a little bit of a lower level of protein and a little bit of a lower level of carbohydrate, but there was no caloric restriction. Hmm. Because there was no caloric restriction, they couldn't get any production of ketones in these yeah. animals. It wasn't until people like uh, Dr. Thomas Seafried and Dr. Dominic D'Agostino that actually got involved that said, hey, man, you really need to be started. You need to practice or implement some type of caloric restriction mm. um, to be able to see the values. We, we, we didn't know that our animals can go into it. But now, because of the, uh, the sanctuary, the groundbreaking sanctuary keto pets, with yeah. the work of Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who got involved, they're now showing that with caloric restriction that of course dogs and cats can go into ketosis. Um, they just utilize ketones a lot uh, faster than humans do. So the levels are a lot lower. So if you were to test a human who comes in at a value of one or higher, I know the, the general layman sense is that you're in ketosis, but for dogs and cats, it starts at 0.3. And so wow. the basic guideline right now is like 0.3 or higher that tells you that your animals uh, in ketosis. So, the pets that, that today that we're seeing the most, I'm going to say, of course, would be the dog and the cat because that's where all the research money goes in, mm -hmm. more heavily the dog than the actual cat. Yeah. What's really fascinating, if you dig back into the literature, that back in, like I think it was the 90s, um, Hill Science Diet, owned by like colgate Palmolive, one of the big veterinary brands that are sold on shelves, they knew back then that dogs and cats could go into ketosis, they couldn't patent the food. And because they couldn't patent the food, the information never got out. But if you actually Google search hills and patents, you'll see that they were putting dogs and cats into ketosis mm -hmm. back in the 90s, showing that it could not only reduce obesity, but it was reducing the amount of seizures wow. and cancer. Mm -hmm. So the dog and cat, of course, um, right now would be where the primary research is. Yeah. But talking to Chilla D'Agostino, Dominic's wife down in the University of South Florida, they're doing a lot of research around the manta rays. Mm. And they're saying that those manta rays, those fish that have to dive deep underwater, are showing the highest level production of ketones wow. for that neuroprotection around the mm. brain because they've got to go so low that their numbers, I believe, are like two, three, four, five, six are higher, um, which is wow. extremely fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So what you're saying is basically dogs are more efficient at utilizing ketones. So if you were to test, if you were to do a blood test, looking at ketone levels, normally when we look at humans, we're looking at typically one, 1.0 1 millimole um, would be basically nutritional ketosis, whereas with, with dogs, you're probably going to see the range really about 0.3, maybe up to 0.5. What, uh, what's been your experience with that? So the challenge, I think the challenge today, which is, which is the ultimate challenge for the pet owner, is what is that a dog adapted to? Um, yeah. There's been a lot of people that have tried to put their dogs into a state of ketosis, but with a struggle. Why? Um, what we know is that some of these dogs can start producing ketones once their blood sugars get a little bit below 75. So when you test your mm. glucose out, your, your glucose comes in at 75 or below. I know here in Canada, uh, we've got our weird machines where you got to divide that by 18. So it's like 
uh, four and lower. Yeah. Uh, but for the majority of the people around the world, um, yeah. usually you got to go below 75 to start seeing ketones in dogs who are eating sugar-based diets. Mm. So when you go to your veterinarian, your veterinarian will have a range. For instance, here in Canada, um, they'll tell you that anything above four, which I think is registering, um, I got to multiply that by 18, maybe like an 85. So mm -hmm. anything between an 85 and 110 or 120 is normal right. in your animal. And if you go below that, your dog is going to seizure. <laughs> Okay, because they've yeah. got hypoglycemic. Hypoglycemic, yep. They're going, they're going to seizure. Right. And rightfully so, their blood panels at the veterinarian clinics are correct. Why? Because all pet food is made with at least 40% carbohydrates, um, yeah. a.k.a. starches, high starches. So, yeah, that would be normal. If, if you were consuming half a cup to two cups of sugar every single day and you drop below those ranges, there could be a problem. Yeah. So... To, to dial that back, when you have an animal that's been used to eating those, um, those high sugar diets and then all of a sudden you drop that animal below 75, they start punching out levels, uh, ketones at around 0.3 or higher, you know your dog is making ketones, you're in good shape. Yeah. But what happens with a dog that, uh, that Dr. Jocker owns, who mm -hmm. feeds from the refrigerator fresh foods to his dog, whose dog is probably not consuming any more than... 20, 20% carbohydrates a day. Who knows? We're yeah. just throwing a number out there. Yeah, and we'll jump into that. I'll, I'll explain what I do with yeah. my dog, and you can explain what you yes. do. Yes, yes. Yeah. You're, you're going to have a problem because the system is already adapted to either a higher fat, a higher fat diet. So 75 is not going to work for you. Yeah. And to be quite honest with me, my dogs were never consuming that many carbohydrates from birth. My dogs have always had, and you know, we can touch on that, I didn't understand gluconeogenesis and protein, which is huge yeah uh, to not steer off topic right my dogs always had a sort of a moderate fat moderate protein diet low carbohydrate uh -huh. um and so when i drop my blood dog's blood sugars down to 75 no ketones 65 mm -hmm. no ketones 45 no ketones i had to take my dog to 39 to the high 30s till i could start seeing ketones and no seizure <laughs> and zip now so my that means <laughs> your dog was producing ketones and but it was it. utilizing them really efficiently, and that's why they weren't showing up in the blood. Well test. said, absolutely, which is the part that I didn't understand. Because to me, it was like, why the heck is my dog not making any ketones? But what was fascinating was I had cut the tumor out. That tumor grew so fast, that spindle cell sarcoma on the side of my dog after doing that stem cell surgery, within six months, it was probably the size of a cantaloupe. And so, of course, I had to go get it cut out. I cut it out. I came uh -huh. back. Again, I was feeding my dog. Fresh, whole, live, organic foods, moderate protein, moderate fat, a little bit low in carbohydrate range, but the tumor kept growing. I couldn't stop it. It wasn't until actually I put my dog into, a, that, into ketosis, the metabolic state of ketosis, that the tumor stopped. And then mm. as, as, the, as I started to drop the glucose, uh, the carbohydrates, and then bring the protein down, that's where I started to reverse the cancer. Yeah, that's so huge. That gluconeogenesis component and a lot of times we're, we're thinking, okay, dogs are carnivores, right? Cats are carnivores. We'll just give them a can of tuna, right? And we do that, and tuna is basically all protein, very little to no fat, no carbs, right? So it's really a high-protein diet, and the body's going to take the protein, convert that into glucose, and you're not going to get the ketogenic effect. So, like, speaking on that, like, what, what do I feed my dog? Well, sometimes we'll just do eggs, right? So pasture-raised eggs we get from our local farmer, 
Um, that's a great thing. We'll do, um, we'll have like these kind of soups and stews, like chicken soups and chicken stews right. that we'll have. And uh, we'll put extra coconut oil, grass-fed butter in there. My family, we eat a low-carbohydrate, high-healthy fat diet. So a lot of our leftovers, I've got two little twin boys. So they're throwing food. They're throwing like things of butter or whatever it is, um, avocado pieces. And she's like are on the floor scavenging those. And we only feed our dog. We only intentionally feed her once a day. Beautiful. Once a day. And I feed her less in quantity than what would be, I guess you could say, like what probably a veterinarian would say, you should feed her this amount, right? I actually feed her less and I make sure we've got extra fat in there. So the overall volume is low, but it's, it's actually fairly calorie dense because of the healthy fat. We'll put it into like a scoop of coconut oil. I put cod liver oil um, on her food every day. I put probiotic. I, put, I give her probiotics as well. Um, Grass-fed butter. And then she's kind of eating scraps that my boys have thrown on the ground um, or kind of leftovers sometimes, you know, that, that we may have. Um, and that's pretty much what she's eating. And really more or less, I would say 90% of the time, she's really only eating once a day. Maybe she'll grab a scrap from the boys, throwing it off the, the table around lunchtime, right? Which is kind of more so, that's more uh, like what she would get in nature. She may just eat once a day, maybe once a week, right? Yes. Depending on, you know, the, the availability of food. And, and, and to, you know, to, to touch on the once a day feeding. So I have a huge fascination with longevity. I travel the world looking for biohacks to try how to get my dog to live longer. And I have a fascination, you know, the, that saying that says, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, then hang out with a millionaire. Don't go down, hang out with that guy in the park or down in some bar who has the fascination of becoming a millionaire one day and broke. And so for me, you know, reading the literature on how to get a dog to live forever is the same thing as what science would tell us today is how to get a human to live forever. And that's going to involve caloric restriction, right? And that's going to involve insulin resistance. And that's going to involve stress yeah. and the ability for the body to repair damage. And these will also fall into the animal world. But when you talk about caloric restriction and you talked about once a day feeding, that is a bad word in the animal world. Yeah. Because I am guilty of loving my animals to death. I love them to the yeah. point that I'm always running, grabbing treats. Yes. I give them a treat. Here, I love you. I want to feed them. Look, right. here's your bowl of food. Oh, I just made this delicious stir fry or chicken or roast. I'm going to add that on top of your food just to make your food taste better. Yeah. I'm not counting those calories. And to go back to my fascination for longevity. I did an exclusive interview with Brian McLaren, who had the oldest dog in the world. God love her. She passed away last year at 31 years old, Dr. Joggers. Mm -hmm. And I asked Brian McLaren, I had to know what the heck did you feed 31 the dog? year old dog. What, what is the actual year old? You were dog. telling me this before too, before you get into that, how long should dogs live? So a great question. <laughs> and that is where, that is where if you read the literature and the science twenties, yeah. If the dog, if the dog is put into a proper environment where you're not seeing so much mitochondrial damage and you know, that could be EMFs, that could be environment, that could be uh -huh. foods, the toxins, pollution, yeah. whatever, you name it. Um, then the dog should theoretically live to be in their twenties. And those outliers, those dogs today that are living in their thirties and in their twenties, when you take that information and you stack that information and you pull the data apart, simple facts. How many times does the dog eat a day? How much does the dog eat a day? 
is the dog in a stressful environment? Does the dog fast? Yeah. You see that correlation of fasting and how many times a day. So Bram, uh, uh, Maggie, the 31-year-old Kelpie, only ate once a day. Mm-hmm. And she only ate four or five times maximum a week. Yeah. She didn't even want her food. So she not only was eating once a day, but she was also fasting. Yeah. She was getting 20 kilometers of exercise a day. So what was that doing to her blood sugars? All that, because he told me from one end of his ranch to the other was, was 10 kilometers and he would drive out on his tractor, dairy farmer, and then drive all the way back. So that dog was getting 20 kilometers of exercise a day, lived to be 31. Take wow. a look at the polar opposite dog right now, Bramble. There's a lot of talk right now be, be, be on this Bramble dog. It's making a lot of social media buzz because the dog was a vegan. A pure carnivore made into a vegan. Mm. Now, if you really dig into the literature, you will see Anne Heritage. She was a soil expert. She was growing all of her foods in her garden that were heavily dense microbial foods, but she only fed the dog once a day. And the dog got minimum two hours of exercise a day. And so all of these long-lived pets all seem to have the same common thread, which was eating once a day and fasting throughout the week. Yeah, absolutely. And eating real food, right? And so eating it's vegan or carnivore, right? That time-restricted feeding, eating food that wasn't chemically laden and processed by man, right? And getting that regular exercise. And I think that's a big thing. And I, I didn't share with my dog when I inherited her from my wife. And when, when I inherited her, Bracey, she had this large lipoma growth on her elbow. And, um, so immediately, you know, I, I changed her diet, told my wife, Hey, we were dating at the time. I said, this is what we need to do is just feed her once a day, you know, and start basically incorporating this time restricted feeding, real foods, get up, get the kibbles and bits and all that kind of stuff out. Yes. Um, yes. and at a matter of six months, you know, that, that faded away. And, uh, and this is kind of what happens the body, you know, she starts using ketones and the body starts to heal and regenerate itself. And it kind of goes back into this concept of, you know, getting, even though it's, it's can be painful to see somebody or, you know, a pet that you love be uncomfortable, actually we get stronger and more resilient through uncomfortability. And so sure, would she have liked to eat, eat more? Absolutely. She, if you put food down, she would have, fe- you know, feasted on it and then just like laid down and, and slept for eight hours. Right. And instead, by fasting, she actually has more of her natural primal instincts. Um, you know, she's more fine-tuned. She's very lean. She's strong. She's 12 now. And if I take a tennis ball out, she goes crazy, jumps around, does flips, chases the ball, um, you know, and she's in excellent health. And, uh, you know, at, a, at an age where, you know, most people are thinking at 12 years old, like you were saying, the 10-year-old dog, most dogs are just laying around the house. Right. Uh, that's pretty much what they're doing at that age. And you spot on with uncomfortableness. I yeah. mean, well, well said. Yep. That's the challenge with the uh, today's typical pet owner. First of all, research shows that 90% of pet owners don't realize that their dog's overweight. That's the first problem. Yep. The second problem, like you said, nobody wants to feel uncomfortable. So because the dog can't talk, everybody says the same thing. But he's hungry. He's hungry all the time. He's always standing by the treat bowl. He's always standing by the refrigerator. And no matter how much I fill the bowl, he keeps eating. So I don't know when to stop, right? Well said that that uncomfortableness, that pet owner actually creates those habits at home unknowingly. And the dog says to himself, well, heck, if I stand beside the treat jar long enough and you're going to give me a treat, well, I'm just going to stand beside the treat jar, right? Right. So these are human problems that kind of stem down into the pet. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where our logical mind, and, and it's, it's like this for pets as well, we don't want to be uncomfortable. So that's why, you know, we, all, we have snacks, we have pantries, we're constantly eating, the dog wants to eat. We want to avoid the uncomfortableness because that uncomfortableness is a risk to our lifespan. However, in today's day and age, we know we're going to get another meal. It's yeah. not like, you know, we're not in a time of famine. It's not like, you know, life and death. We know we're going to get another meal. So we've got to be more intentional about timing it outright so we can get that time-restricted feeding properly. So, you know, your dog, your, your pet is going to act hungry. They're going to act uh, in a way where, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get the food because, again, they don't know any better. They just don't know that they're going to get another meal. They, they just think, hey, I want to eat now. I want to be able to feast and then just rest because it's very comfortable and you've got to be more intentional about saying, you know, just timing it out right and understanding that your pet's going to actually do a lot better. Their body's going to be stronger, more resilient. Uh, they're going to be at excellent health if you follow these, these types of principles. And, right. that, and, that's, and that's the important mindset, yep. God bless your mouth, that you just said was understanding that, you know, that we have enough research to show. And there was a research done in the dog world that the less you ate, the longer you lived. Yeah. You know, Purina was famous for a study on golden retrievers where they took two panels of golden retrievers. They gave one um, a, a certain fixed amount of calories their whole life. So let's say two cups of food. The other panel had a 25% reduction uh, of food. So rather than two cups, they got a cup and three quarters. The panel that ate 25% more lived two years longer. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Right. And so, but you know, we were talking about this earlier, um, where we were talking, uh, sort of offline about stress. One of the biggest issues with the pet parent is they become stressed out when they think the dog is hungry and the dog is not eating. Am I, am I feeding you enough? Am I starving you? And they don't realize what stress can do. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, stress is going to drive up blood sugar. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I think, you know, one, one of the biggest aspects here too is that you could feed your dog the best foods in the world mm -hmm. and you could calorically, calorically restrict the diet. Um, and I know caloric restriction is a bad word. People like to say calorically controlled today because the word restriction yeah, right. is not such a beautiful None word. None of us like restriction. Nobody likes restriction. So maybe <laughs> caloric control will yeah. sort of uh, inspire more people. But the fact, what you just said was the fact that if you're stressed out, um, well, then you're churning out a whole bunch of cortisol and, and your liver's blowing out a whole, your uh, blood sugars, your blood sugars are elevating, you're churning out insulin. We have enough research to show that insulin grows things, creates mm -hmm. chronic inflammation. Yeah. Um, and so we got on a plane and traveled to Italy to get the science to show that if you're stressed out during the day, if you're stressed out and worried that if your dog's not getting enough food and you're starving your dog, if you got in a fight with a loved one or a sibling on the side and you sweat that stress and you smell of that type of fear or whatever anxiety, whatever emotion you had, that when you come home and your dog smells that, feed the best foods in the world, perform the caloric restriction, do all the fasting, but your dog is smelling your stress levels and your fear, your dog, within three seconds, science will show, will start churning out cortisol. Wow. And as yeah. you said, that's a big problem. Absolutely. That's amazing to understand that. And so what you're saying is, hey, really, our thought process as the, as the pet owner, okay, and our quality of life and the stress levels that we're under is going to impact the health of, of the pet. 
Right. You've got it. Absolutely. You know, happy home, happy pet. And so that is kind of one of the big factors. I know we talk a lot about food and according to the Broad Institute and the largest study they conducted, 40% of it is food. You can actually affect cancer so significantly just by changing, modifying the diet up to 40%. So of course that should be the biggest thing that we talk about, but we also know within a lot of research that stress plays a massive role role in the longevity of your animal and the longevity of the household. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely does. And so we know when we're in chronic fight or flight, when we've got kind of when we're always priming our body for, you know, for fight or flight, where we've got to run or fight something, we're kind of in this fear-based mode, um, our blood sugar has to be higher because we never know. We may have to run or fight or whatever it is, and we're never able to get back into parasympathetic. We're able to rest, heal, digest, and regenerate. So really, ultimately, it's kind of like this 80-20. We want to be able to spend about 80% of our of our energy should be in resting, healing, and regenerating, and 20% for you know exercise, performance, things like that. That's when we're in that fight or flight. And if we've got, got that good ratio then we're going to be healthy. And and that's really what we want with our animals as well is we want to get them out. We want them running. We want them moving on a, on a regular basis. Right. But ultimately when they're at home, when they're laying down, we want them relaxed, comfortable, right. And, uh, and, and able to uh, be in that parasympathetic mode so they can heal and regenerate. Yeah. And and well said on the exercise, you know, that there's a big misconception with a lot of pet owners that if your animal has cancer, no more exercise. Mm. They can't, they shouldn't move. They've got cancer. Um, Let's keep them at home. Let's bundle them up in a blanket. And that's not the move. You know, keto pets, the groundbreaking sanctuary we were talking about where they've got the world's top metabolic doctors Mm -hmm. um, and they're reversing these cancers. These dogs with cancer, Dr. Jockers, are getting exercise two or three times a day. Mm. And I think one of the big things that pet owners don't understand is if you want to bring those blood sugars down and you want that dog to start producing ketones, move that dog. You don't want that dog sort of hibernated in one spot. And, and you bring up a huge point, which is exercise. I mean, exercise is a massive, massive component. Some of these yeah. animals, some of these long-lived animals, the diet was terrible. Yeah. But they got a lot of exercise. Right. So there was, you know, there was, there was pros and cons to it. And I know this kind of all stems back from your original question. You shared what you fed your dogs and you were asking me yeah. myself, you know, what is it today that, uh, you know, that I focus on or, or a tip for pet owners for, for sort of like better care. Yeah. And I steered away. I took us off topic with, but these are fascinating conversations. Um, I think for, so, you know, of course, what we just highlighted, which is caloric restriction is, uh-huh. is massively important today when it comes to, um, you know, the big tip on how to better feed your animal. Um, but one of the, one of the things that I have this new love and fascination for is microbes. Yes. And uh, I got to travel to the United Kingdom and sit down with Dr. Tim Spector, uh, geneticist, my, uh, microbiologist, one, uh, according to Reuters Magazine, one of the 1% of the most cited scientists in the entire world. Mm. And he, was, he made it very clear, the more diverse your GI system, the more, yeah. in, in layman terms, the more diverse, the diverse your belly is with yeah. microbes, um, the better you had health the longer that you probably were going to live. They had a fascination with those tribes in uh, Africa who had double the microbiome that the typical mm-hmm. North American had. And I know that they were doing, uh, putting uh, the, uh, the sort of the poop of the tribesmen in turkey basters and drinking it, my, uh, microbiome therapy, if you may. Yeah. Um, just trying to see sort of, you know, how much, how much longer they would live maybe over time. Um, I think today 
it's critical that your animal, you really look into foods that are really uh, microbial rich. I know a lot of root vegetables are, are very rich in, in microbes. Um, and I have a huge fascination with those. Some of them can be extremely starchy, but you don't really have to worry about your starches. They can act as a source of fiber if your diet's low initially. So microbes are, 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 are really big for me. We just got back from Italy where we were, they did a test on to go back to the kibble and the, those dry-based foods and packages. This was so fascinating. They took a panel of dogs, and so they took the, the kibble, packaged, cooked, and then they took the kibble in a raw state. They didn't cook it. And they found that the dogs that ate it in its natural raw state before the cooking process had a better microbiome than the dogs who were eating it in a cooked state. And the microbiome, all the different type of microbes, were the ones that symbolized health and longevity. Mm. So I think that is really big. And then, of course, supplementation is huge. Um, one of the latest studies that just came out, which is just a few weeks ago, uh, pertaining to puppies and the importance of supplementation is the fact that we rely on the foods and the packaged foods to be uh, complete and balanced. We, we want to believe that we can go out to a store, buy one brand of food, and then just feed it to that dog from birth to death. And that dog's got everything it possibly needs in life. And it doesn't need anything else. And so science right now is showing they've taken 128 bags off the shelf and analyzed all these bags of food and almost 90% of them didn't have what the label was labeled and were missing key essential nutrients that weren't in the bag. And this is huge. So what did science do? They took a whole bunch of puppies. They fed them. They took two panels of puppies. They fed some a complete and balanced food. And the others, they gave them supplementation. The puppies that had supplementation on top of their foods, DHAs, antioxidants, carotenoids, vitamins, minerals, those puppies not only showed a better sign of health than the puppies that didn't, but it also affected if whether those puppies were going to be obese in the future. Hmm. Meaning you could prevent obesity by early supplementation in these animals. Hey, I just want to take a quick moment and tell you about my new book, The Fasting Transformation. I am so excited about this book. It is a functional guide to help you burn fat, heal your body, and transform your life with intermittent and extended fasting. Fasting is the most ancient form of natural medicine. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting improves your blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in your body, optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning, and helps activate stem cells and deep cellular healing. Guys, you're gonna learn so much from this book. You can check it out, The Fasting Transformation on Amazon or on our webpage, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. So check that out now. You guys are going to love the book. And if you have a chance, leave a review on Amazon. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. And so obviously getting the right nutrients. Also, like you talked about getting that microbial diversity into their system by helping them eat real foods from nature in their raw state can be so powerful. And so what are some of the key supplements that you use with your dog? Yeah, I, I've got a, you know, for me, supplementation is, is one of those things that I, I like to, to talk when I talk to pet owners about is filling in the gaps. Um, you know, you and I have been talking about it right from the start. And you've mentioned it to me a million times how important fresh foods are. 
yeah. how important these whole foods are. And we know that fresh foods um, have, a, have a huge impact when it comes to uh, how we're using versus supplementation. Purdue University wanted to conduct a study and they took a, a bowl of processed food. It's my favorite study of all time. And they took a bowl of processed food and they took out a portion of that food and they put in like raw green leafy vegetables. They took the same, uh, a different panel of dogs, took that same bowl of food, took those foods out, and then they put powdered supplements like broccoli powder. Mm -hmm. And they fed those dogs over time, 12 years. The dogs that got the green leafy vegetables in their foods showed a 90% reduction in bladder cancer. Wow. The dogs yeah. that ate the powdered broccoli on top... No effect. No change. Yeah. And that comes back to like what we just discussed. Microbes. Yeah. Fiber. Yeah. Right? Slower release of insulin in the body. So, I, I you know, I, I just want to stress that, of course, and I'm sure a lot of people and in, in, in you would sort of contend to that is that um, supplements are hugely important because research is showing right now the benefits of these supplements and what they can do. But I, what I find sometimes uh, people may do is sort of skip out on the main thing, which is the actual diet and just yeah. go immediately to the supplementation. Right. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think, yeah. and I think that's kind of one of the things that are, are, are uh, that we, you know, that I want to highlight first, but to go back to the important supplements, my favorite thing in the world is morning smoothies. So I will, uh, I will create uh, early in the morning before we uh, sort of go out for our, our big walk, me and my dogs, um, I'll put together these, uh, these fabulous, like my, my big crush supplementations. First and foremost, DHA. Yeah. If you were to Google DHA right yeah. now um, in the dog world, there may be over 200 studies showing the importance of uh, omega-3 fatty acids. Yep and adding omega-3 fatty acids into uh, the dogs and cats' bowls. Cats, uh, a study that just came out three months ago showed that they had a lower reduction. Cats are very prone to stones, kidney mm. stones, bladder stones. Uh, they, had a, they had a significantly, if not 50% reduction in those stone formations just by adding omega-3 fatty acids. Wow. A study that came out of the University of Finland on 12 thousand dogs showed that dogs that were supplemented with omega-3 fatty acids had the lowest rate of cancer amongst mm. all the dogs in the 12,000 panel yeah. of dogs that were studied. So I yeah. love to add DHAs. Mm -hmm. um, we, the same problems that would happen in the human world are happening in the dog world where we, it, the sourcing of the DHA is very important. Yeah. No waters are dirty. Yes. Um, a lot of humans think that the carnivore can convert the same omega-3s that humans can, and they can't. Right. So although you and I can synthesize plant-based omega-3s and convert those into DHAs. And we humans really don't do that well. <clears throat> we don't Thank do you for saying that. ALA, um, which, is, which is something that you know, we find in things like walnuts and flaxseed. Right. Humans can do it, but um, really you're only going to convert at most maybe 10 to 20%. And that's only if you're fully zinc sufficient and that you've got really, really good uh, liver enzymes, really clean liver function. And so for most people are going to struggle with that. So for humans and like what you're saying here with pets, getting a animal-based omega-3 that's right. got the very long chain EPA. And then the longest chain omega-3 is the DHA, which is what you're talking about, which really makes up a key component of all of our neuronal cells. So all the cells in our brain, like my wife's pregnant right now. So she's growing our little girl. And so um, I've got her doing a lot of EPA and DHA, right? <laughs> so it's huge, but it's also great for all of us as we're developing. And then of course for pets.
Right. Absolutely. Well said. Um, I think one of the big misconceptions for pet owners is they go running out for uh, sort of these hemp oils. Um, yeah. They go chia seeds. Um, and all those, these are, these are great things. Um, yeah, flax seed for oil. Yep. Yes. Uh, I think pet owners, the confute coconut oil. Yeah. Uh, you would be shocked how many pet owners think that coconut oil is full of omega-3 fatty acids. Mm. Yeah. And that is a that is a huge problem in the pet world. And yeah. so um, a lot of manufacturers will say that they put these DHAs in, in these pet foods, but science shows the second that you rip open that bag, yeah. four days, Dr. Jockers, and those oils are gone. If not, they're yeah, they're so fragile. Like, for example, we give my dog, I was saying, cod liver oil, which I really like because it's got EPA, DHA, high doses of it. And I actually, it's not a capsule or anything. It's the actual oil form. Um, it's got a, a lot of vitamin D as well and vitamin A in there. So it's real concentrated because it's from the actual liver of the, of the cod, um, purified. So that way we don't have the environmental toxins, which is what you were talking about. We want to get it purified. Um, and basically we refrigerate it. So once we open it, it's in the refrigerator because those oils are so fragile, any sort of heat, plus the actual glass bottle should be dark. So that way any sort of light can't penetrate in and of course it should be a glass bottle so we don't get bpa and plastics leaching in and that's you want to be you know you want to be really specific with anytime you're using a, some sort of a high quality fish oil you can do capsules um it's harder obviously with a pet to get them to eat the capsule of course you can mix it in their food but um but the oil form seems to work good and I like that you said that, you know, we, sadly, we are creatures of convenience and for pet owners today, glass amber bottles are yeah. very hard to find. Yeah. Um, and so what you find on the shelves today are these plastic bottles mm. uh, with these spouts with no airlock capability where it's on sitting on the shelf uh, in front of sunlight. We don't know how long it's been in that plastic bottle for. And yeah. then the air travels into the spout of the pump. And so by the time you come home with that oil, it's already rancid. Right. And these are, these are things that unfortunately, you know, there's only so many levels of what, what starts to happen. I find today, whether, whether you're a human or whether you're, whether you're buying something for your animal, we know something's good. And then what happens is because of social media and the strength of social media, all of a sudden that good turns into a bad. And then pet owners start to freak out and they start to hear, oh gosh, I could be buying rancid oil. I could be giving it to my dog. I could be making my dog sick. Maybe I just won't give my dog any oil. And, and so, you know, I don't really want to deter anybody from those things, but these are, if you want to be like a rock star consumer, these are little things that you should be looking for, you know, well done, well said on the, on the amber bottle and the glass bottle and refrigerating it to keep it, yeah. to keep it shelf stable. These are things that a lot of pet owners don't uh, really focus on. Now, of course, we could probably talk about DHA for like four days. It is yeah. my favorite ad. Uh, but then I go to things that I think are really important right now because in the pet food industry, these are highlighted. There's a lot of, there's a lot of skeptics when it comes to vitamin D3. And what we know today, of course, is go outside, sit in the sun, absorb your vitamin D3. Uh -huh. The, the sad part is that dogs and cats cannot get vitamin D from sunlight. They can get a small amount. I think it's like 5 or 10% at most. But science shaved these animals down, stuck them out into the sun, and there was no effect. They have to get their vitamin D3 from food. Wow. And the problem is when you're looking at sort of factory farm foods like chickens and things like that, they don't see sunlight. Yeah. Right? They're in coops all day. So these animals are eating these. Manufacturers are buying these caged animals, putting them in pet foods. There is a massive D3 deficiency today 
in foods in general. And so manufacturers are adding D3 to the foods. Science went out, grabbed a whole bunch of bags of food off, tested them all. They're all D3 deficient. Mm. So I add D3. Yeah. I know that I know the science right now is, is is the jury is out on that on what it is. I try to buy a natural source of D three. I think mine comes from moss, yeah. um, and and I, and I add it to the foods for for my animals. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll add a little bit of D three in there. I love adding things like um, ubiquinol. Yeah. No matter who you are in this world, yeah. when you take your pet into the vet, what does your vet say? I think I hear a murmur. Oh right. Heart. And. Ubiquinol now, they're showing a study out of Japan that by high-dosing ubiquinol into your animal's food, you can reverse a murmur in two weeks. Yeah, and, and ubiquinol is also called coenzyme Q10. Some people may know it as CoQ10. Right. Yeah. Really key part of the electron transport system producing energy within every cell. And, and the muscles really, or the heart is really just a big muscle and use, utilizes so much of that. So very important for preventing heart disease. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge one for me. Uh, last but not least, so I don't hijack this entire conversation so I can sit here all day and talk about supplements. Here's something really fascinating. I gotta, so I'm adding right now deep ocean minerals into mm. my dog's food. Yeah. And so people say, why? Because of my line of work, I get a lot of awesome phone calls, like people like yourself who say, hey, come on, yeah. let's talk about animals. I love, I love uh, doctors and researchers who love talking about animals. Um, I got a call from these Russian scientists who are working with Red Bull, and they've, they've developed this machine, like this million, billion dollar machine that literally will, you strap a vest onto yourself or your dog. So they asked me to bring my dog in. I brought my dog in, they strap a vest. Um, They'll blast your dog with these, um, you can't feel them, of course, this electrical current, and they will go into the body and it'll give a snapshot of where the body is. Now, as a science junkie, I was, I jumped at the opportunity. I took my dog in and, and I, 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 because of the things I know, I would say my dog's a pillar of health. And what they said to me was, gosh, your dog's got a lot of fluid around its heart. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, there's some fluid. It looks like there's some fluid buildup around the, a rib cage. How are, are you adding any minerals to your dog's diet? Like, are you feeding your dog um, your water supply? What's your water supply like? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So here at home, I'm, I'm, a, I'm you know, I'd like to think that I'm a little bit of a, a sort of a well-versed pet owner. I don't use tap water. I come from a province here in Canada, all the way up north in Nova Scotia, where we have the highest rate of bladder cancer in the entire country. That's because uh, my province lies on a sheet of arsenic. So our wow. arsenic levels are five times higher than the huh. entire country. And so we were really plagued by bladder cancer here. So I use uh, reverse osmosis water. Yeah. I try to get the fluorides out. Um, yeah. I try to get the arsenic out of the water. What I didn't realize was that the company that was making this water, it was removing so many of those essential minerals that needs to be in the water out of the diet that it was making my dogs mineral deficient to the fact that he was forming fluid around his heart. So again, you know, these are things that we learn as pet owners that we're like, yeah, this is is really big too for the keto conversation because- I will often recommend reverse osmosis filtration because it does take out all the waste and you want to avoid all that kind of stuff. So right. it's a good filtration system. However, it does, you have to remember it takes out electrolytes. And when you're on a ketogenic diet, when your insulin is low, you actually excrete more sodium and more of the key electrolytes. So you need electrolyte replacement. You need to be eating trace mineral rich foods or adding in like some healthy salts, some good high quality sea salt or pink salt, Himalayan salt into your water or, you know, supplementing like you're talking about here with, with uh, some deep ocean minerals, right? 
Yeah, and, and I like that you just mentioned the Himalayan salt. Yeah. Uh, we know today that a lot of diets through research in, the, in, in pet food is iodine deficient. Yeah. Right. And, and there's also, um, there's also a, a whole bunch of a series of different, um, deficiencies in minerals, but primarily going back to, to iodine and things like that. I use uh, even sodium deficiencies. Also, mm -hmm. a lot of these yeah. guys have sodium yeah. deficiencies because they remove the sort of the blood component, um, from the foods. And now you're seeing a sodium deficiency, an iodine deficiency. I love adding Himalayan salts into my yeah. dog foods. I will always put it. It sounds crazy. People are like you're putting salt in your dog food to yeah. make up for those deficiencies. I also sometimes will resort to superfoods like mussels. Yeah. Because muscles are so dense in, you know, like vitamins, mineral rich food, yeah. minerals, uh, manganese, yep. um, iodine, what have yeah, you. Yeah, all your, all your sea, seafood, right? So right. sea vegetable, fish, mussels, all that kind of stuff. So it's really, really dense with trace minerals. Right. And that, and that was, and so like you said, and I didn't know that about the sort of the insulin, the keto diet, and the trace minerals. Yeah. Thank you for yep. sharing that. Yes. Um, yeah, I use, you know, that my, my last big supplement that, that I would probably suggest to a lot of people is you know some sort of um, clean organic based if possible um, mineral uh, sort of supplementation and for me I use uh, deep ocean minerals yeah that's great and what are what are your favorite foods to feed your dog yeah I've got a huge kick right now with fats and of course yeah. it wouldn't be a keto summit if we weren't talking about fat absolutely um, it, there's now fats can be really sort of a great or a bad thing for a lot of pet owners mm -hmm. because when you're feeding the staple diet which is the processed food kibble based diet that is really high in carbohydrates yeah. so your three macronutrients that are going to fuel you it's either going to be protein it's either going to be um uh, protein fats or carbohydrates yeah and you know protein is a terrible source of fuel right it's a building yeah. block we don't want to be using it as a fuel so in the pet food world the number one macronutrient to fuel your animal is carbohydrates mm -hmm. but it's not listed on the bag yeah and yep. because it's not listed on the bag you'll see protein you'll see fat a lot of pet owners when you're feeding dogs 60 some of these foods uh, dr jockers are 70 percent uh carbohydrate high starch diets they start throwing fat on top of the food mm -hmm. and lots of fat yeah and you know science will show you when you have a high carb high fat diet that's a ticking time bomb oh yeah right so i just i want to throw that out there very quick so of course yeah. because i my dogs are fat adapted uh my my favorite foods right now are, are, are sort of heavier fat based foods yeah. uh, my dogs will see um grass-fed butter yeah, you know, I know you give oh, yeah. that to your pup as well, right? Yeah, um, it yeah. makes it sound crazy. You know, yeah. again, a word of caution: you don't really want to take grass-fed butter and start throwing it on top of the kibble. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have some problems, right? Um, but if your if your diet is the right diet, you know, circulating between good fats from animal. I love coconut oil. Yeah, Shelf stable. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of you know misconception in the dog world that there's omega threes in it, and I know that you know yep. there's not. And, and you know research shows there's not really very many omega sixes in there. Yeah, either. exactly. Basically, coconut oil is more or less saturated fat. We've been told saturated fat's bad for us, but actually, saturated fat's extremely good. In fact, stearic acid is uh, stearic acid is one of the preferred fuels for the heart. You have that in coconut oil as well as grass fed butter, and coconut oil also has a lot of medium chain fats. Medium chain. Uh, saturated fats that all turn into ketones very, very quickly. And grass-fed butter has a lot of small chain, butyric acid, things like that, that are uh, small chain triglycerides, small chain fats that also are very ketogenic. They turn into ketones quickly. So very, very good 
for the buyer. Yeah, and, and, and I like that you brought that up. I mean, I try to laymanize it as much as I can to the average pet owner, and I just yeah. tell them it's the bus driver. You know, we, right. you, we have research that shows why adding the MCTs, the medium chain triglycerides, yeah. and the coconut oil to, let's say, DHAs, omega-3 fatty acids, mm -hmm. they drive it up into the brain faster. Yes. And so they Very were good. giving it to these dogs with uh, cognitive disabilities, these older dogs who were becoming, yeah. let's say, more senile, if you may, adding the coconut oil to the, to the, to the omega-3, and it was driving it up into the brain, the little mm -hmm. rust driver. So um, MCT oils right now are, are a very big thing. I've been trying MCT oils, um, yeah. you know, the, the caprylic acid, uh, the C8, mm -hmm. I think they call it. Yeah. Um, but it's really tough in the dog world. It, it's almost, you know, they, I was sitting with uh, Dave Asprey, the, the yeah. biohacker. Yeah from Bulletproof, uh, he invited me to, to his home a few months back and he, he had given me a bottle of, of his MCT oil and I was so excited. I came running home and he had told me that it's like 18 pounds of coconuts to make one pound of his MCT oil. I didn't realize how powerful that was. I gave everybody in this household explosive diarrhea with <laughs> MCT oil. Yeah, you got to so, be careful using it. A word of caution if you're, if you're going to be bringing uh, MCT oil into the yeah. house. Um, but yeah, my dogs today, I'll try to rotate um, when it comes to their, their favorite foods between good, clean meats, if I can. Yeah. I try to go to the farmer's markets. I really try to buy ethically raised animals and happy, healthy animals in, in the province here. Uh, if you, we have access to like deer and venison, mm. llama, um, I yeah. try to, I try to stay away a lot from the chickens, you know, chicken, I know in, in Chinese medicine is a, is a warming, um, is, is, is a warming protein source. But the problem in the dog world, Dr. Jockers, is all pet food diets all across the board are sometimes anywhere between 10 to 1 to 20 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. Yeah, right. And then people go and they buy chicken because it's mm -hmm. so cheap. Right. Right? And really with that omega-6 to ratio, we want to be around 2 to 1 or 1 to 1. Well said. So, yeah. It yeah. Well, the problem creates inflammation when it's like 21, like you were saying. You got it. Yeah. And so people become very fixated on, on price and, and rightfully so. I mean, mm -hmm. money is, people are strapped nowadays. Yeah. So you'll, the number one protein source right now sold in the world is chicken. And people are really, really uh, sort of heavily uh, sort of immersed into chicken-based pet foods because of price, because of cost, but not realizing that some of these foods, you can flip the label around. It'll be like 15, 20, 30 to one ratios yeah. and what do they do they go buy a chicken from the from the supermarket rip that apart and then put it on top of the food to get the dog to entice the dog to eat their food <clears throat> and now you really broaden the gap between your sixes and your threes so chicken i dabble cautiously with and so i try to go to the like i say to the farmer's markets and rotate between a lot of clean grass-fed ethically raised animals. yeah that's good that's good and also chicken is typically very lean and so the, the protein level, you know, using chicken, you can get that protein level up high quick with it. So you, if you do do it, you want to make sure you have a lot of fat with it. I know with, uh, with my dog, we do a lot of soups. I, I like to do a lot of um, organ meats and, um, and broths, like getting them, you know, basically like the gelatinous type of collagen bone broths and things like that, because that's so good for her joints. And so I always try to make sure we've got that. Or sometimes like, hey, we have extra eggs this week um, from our farmer. So now she's getting a few meals where it's just like three eggs. My favorite. Yeah, yeah my, my, like the research behind, 
the research behind the egg is is phenomenal. First of all, the most complete amino acid sort on the planet. It's got all the amino acids that a dog could possibly need. I didn't understand how important the shell and the membrane mm. were. When I was doing some of the research into the membrane, some, some scientists will argue that the membrane is even healthier than the egg itself. You, you know, you go into the supermarkets now and you'll see eggshell membranes sold on the shelves. Yeah. They say it's high in glucosamine, hyaluric acid, yeah. protein. Yeah. And the eggshell itself is a very bioavailable source of calcium for dogs. Now for puppies, it's not supposed to be given to puppies. Dogs really need bone in the diet. But for like adult dogs, Eggshells are a beautiful source of calcium, and so a lot of pet owners will throw the entire egg into a bowl. We have old science. This is really big. We have old science from the 70s that says never give your dog a raw egg. Um, that it can, it, there, the, the, there's a biotin deficiency. There's a problem that happens within the system of the animal that the egg whites can be toxic to a dog. In 1970, science took a bunch of puppies, fed these poor puppies for three, we did terrible things back then, for three months straight, they just fed puppies egg whites. That's it. And then they came back and said, oh, we found a biotin deficiency in the puppies. Therefore, egg whites are terrible for animals. Don't feed it to animals. I mean, it was the worst study ever conducted. In the, I mean, do that yeah. study on infants, babies, and you're going to find the same issue. Here's the other thing. The microbiome wasn't developed. And yeah. so science shows that if you're eating like a bunch of egg whites and you're taking antibiotics at the same time, that there mm. could be problems. And this is, was another flawed issue with that study because these puppies didn't have a fully developed microbiome. That was just a side note thing that I would throw in there because what I was worried that a lot of pet owners would research, hey, egg whites look terrible on the internet. And they say don't give to animals. So yes, you're a rock star for adding eggs, broths yeah. in there. If people could be inspired to make some of these broths and make them for their animals, holy smokes. Oh, they yeah. would be fabulous. And if you can't, go to the farmer's market and buy it. Yeah, exactly. You can get it. Yep. And going back to the eggs, the egg yolk is very rich in biotin. And so you do, I just crack the egg and put it right in, right? And that's the way to go with it. And they counterbalance each other if there was a biotin deficiency yes. according to science. So yeah, that is, I think the egg, because a lot of these foods today are amino acid deficient. And so research showed that when they tested a lot of these pet foods, they were amino acid deficient. Yeah. But the egg by far is the greatest superfood in the world. Oh yeah. Great source of fat yep. that you could possibly give an animal. Yeah, and an egg is like a perfect keto food because it's really low carb and it's like a two to one fat to protein ratio. So you can eat eggs and not worry about, hey, I'm going to get too much protein here because the fat's going to satiate you very well. Plus, if you get the pasture raised eggs, right? So that's what you're going to be looking for. Um, you can find them at a Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, places like that. Local farmers are great where the chickens are able to run around, eat insects, eat grass, weeds. My mom has chickens. Um, and basically throws all our weeds in there and they go crazy yeah. for them. Um, they're going to bioaccumulate more omega-3s, more vitamin A, fat-soluble vitamin A, vitamin D. So they're going to have a lot of these nutrients. So yeah, eggs are an amazing food source for, for dogs. And you know, pets in general, their stomach acid, I don't know if you know this, but their stomach acid is actually stronger and their salivary enzymes are stronger than humans. This is why they can eat like roadkill and like feel fine. You know what I mean? They yeah. can handle a larger microbial load. So even if you're concerned about, okay, raw eggs and, you know, possibly issues with contamination, typically the pet is going to do well with it. Usually, obviously if it smells like a rotten egg, it's a rotten egg. 
barring that, it should be totally fine. Your pet will do great with it. Yeah, and well said with that. Dogs could walk around with a stomach pH of one. Humans at yeah. around a five, according to research. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, dogs are actually born with 30, 30 to 40% salmonella already in their GI mm. tract. So they're very, they lick their butts. Every day your dog is licking his exactly. butt after he goes outside and he's fine. So That's right. I know that we've become creatures of sterile foods and sterile doorknobs. No matter where you go now, there's hand sanitizer everywhere. And that couldn't be any, you know, more detrimental to the health. Yeah. Canada is very famous for that CBC study that the people <clears throat> that were the sickest people were born through a C-section. They didn't come out naturally from the mom, so they didn't get lambasted with that bacteria. Well, the same thing with pets. Today, a dog from birth to death will eat sterile food. Yeah. And then you go to the refrigerator, you pull something out that's microbial rich, you give it to your dog, the next morning he's got bloat diarrhea. Well, the first thing you think to yourself is, ah, oh, I gave him fresh food, he's got bloat diarrhea. Well, his stomach wasn't in tune. The microbes yeah. in his belly weren't yet. So, of course, a slow transition is always the best transition. Yeah. Um, but pasture-raised eggs, to go back to that point, the vitamin D3 levels, when I did the research on that, were through the roof compared to a typical egg because, like you said, the chickens are outside pecking, but they're getting sun. Yeah, yeah. So the days when I give my dog uh, pasture-raised eggs, I don't give her cod, cod liver oil, right? She's got enough. And so if I'm giving her like a chicken soup or something like that, um, or, you know, a venison soup or beef soup or something along those lines, there's going to be less because it's more of the leaner protein, part of the protein. So I'm going to put the cod liver oil in. It works out yes. really good. You know, one, one last thing I want to touch on too was, you know, humans are actually the only species that doesn't intentionally consume dirt. <laughs> we used to because we would pick carrots out of the ground or whatever it was, our plants. Whereas I will watch Bracey go outside and she'll just start sniffing in the grass and start licking dirt and grass. And it's not like she's craving it. She just, this natural instinct starts to take that in, right? And you've probably noticed that with your dog as well. I talked to world formulator Steve Brown, one of my most famous formulators in the world. This guy literally, uh, Dr. Jockers, took like, he used to work for MIT and NASA. He's taken... Um, the NRC guidelines, the FDA guidelines, the Euro guidelines, combined them all to this big giant spreadsheet to balance food for animals. And I asked him, I said, Steve, if you had to pick the one greatest food in the world, what would it be? And he said, dirt. He said, if I could yeah. bottle dirt, he said, <laughs> the microbes that are in the dirt, um, science is right now trying to figure out why do dogs eat dirt? Well, for a, maybe a whole host of reasons. Initially, we thought it was a selenium deficiency, that dogs were just digging and eating a lot of dirt because we know that they lack a lot of selenium in their diet. But I, there's a lot of heavy-based research saying they're just getting the microbes at the Yeah. And that's why an, another controversial topic is why do dogs eat each other's poop? And right. so in the wild, when wolves are going out eating each other's yeah. scat, they're saying they're trying to get that microbial diversity. Mm. And so the challenge becomes today is you don't know if your dog is eating another dog's poop, if that was good poop or bad poop, what that dog right. is eating. But yeah. in the wild, it's, it's, it's thought to be that that is probably the most um, heavily based, dense, microbial, health healing thing that you can get into your body. <laughs> From that's oh, absolutely. Uh, holistic veterinarians today are healing some of the most aggressive diseases, including cancer, with microbiome therapy. Right. They're bottling and putting these, these scats and these feces in these pills and giving it to these dogs. Wow. And these dogs who are chronically plagued with allergies, uh, you name the disease, and these animals heal 
eating mm. another healthy animal's poop. Yeah. So unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that then, is hugely. Yeah. Unbelievable. And I've seen that with my dog. She's uh roll. She's found duck poop. I mean, almost every kind of species and rolled in it. So I, I always joke with my wife that she has a uh, poop fetish, yeah. <laughs> but also she'll, um, she, you know, just goes out and starts eating the dirt. And you've got the humic acids, fulvic acids, all the different soil-based organisms in there that just help cleanse your body. I mean, you think about things like activated charcoal and bentonite clay and diametaceous earth. These things are binders that help pull out bad microbes. Meanwhile, she's bringing in, you know, healthy microbes into the system. And so, yeah, so beneficial. And so just kind of her natural instinct telling her to, to go for that. Yeah. And I think more and more pet owners today uh, should do that. Of course, you know, some of these, some of these dirts, of course, these mulches and things like that, that you go and buy from the hardware store, you don't want your animal eating that. Yeah. But of course we're talking about organic, healthy dirts that yes. come up from natural environment, right. same thing with grass eating. It's the same thing. Um, yep. We know that today the animal can go in your yard and eat your sprayed lawn. Even if you don't spray it when it was not, when it was laid yeah. down as sod, it was treated. Yet mm -hmm. the animal goes in the wild, eats these healthy grasses and digestively does fine. So I think, you know, we're learning more and more today about the microbiome and the importance of the microbiome. And I know we were talking about Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who is now working with NASA, testing the microbiome for these astronauts in the state of ketosis, looking to see, you know, the benefits and what have you. I don't want to speak on Dom's behalf, but there's so much more to learn about the microbiome yeah. Um, that, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. If I could go buy bottled dirt, I would, and I would put it in my pet's food. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful. And, and uh, some of the scientists you mentioned, Dr. Thomas Seyfried and Dr. Dominic Diagostino are actually both in this Keto Edge Summit. Oh, so awesome. definitely, if you're listening, check out their interviews for sure. And so kind of our, the, the part the final question here, Rodney, this has been such an enlightening interview. I've loved it. Just absolutely enjoyed this interview. Um, but what, what are some of the takeaways that you found from your dog cancer series? You traveled all over the world. This is an incredible documentary that if you're listening, you have got to make sure you check this out, the dog cancer series. Um, and what are some, let's say like three big takeaways that, um, that you really got from it that people can now start applying for your pets? <clears throat> yeah, I think... I think, you know, that's a great question. I think one of the biggest things that I learned filming this series, of course, and we've, we've touched on it about <clears throat> a zillion times, is the damage that food can do in, in, when you overfeed your animal. Yeah. So we can, it doesn't, you know, you can have the most perfect intentions in the world and go out and buy all of these glorious foods and start throwing them all into a bowl um, and creating this big giant sort of calorically dense food that can become a recipe for disaster. Mm. I think for, for pet owners today, um, <clears throat> to understand the concept, excuse me, the less you feed, the longer you live is massively important. All of these doctors in the keto summit, I'm sure caloric yeah. control, if you may staying away from the word caloric restriction um, for pet owners is critical and it's critical when it comes to cancer yeah. uh, i know we have an old myth in the in the animal world that you really want a fat dog when they have cancer because cachexia is going to come creep, creeping in so fatten them or before they go through chemotherapy that they do better on chemo if they're really fat and so we purposely make animals obese which is a huge problem in yeah. fact you know we're, we're seeing now with research the 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 benefits of being in ketosis and uh, 
combining it with chemotherapy and the benefits there, the, the protection, the sort of the, the protection that, that, that metabolic state of ketosis can give you from if you're going to be doing low doses of chemotherapy or what have you, not that I'm recommending chemo for anybody, but yeah. the benefits that could be there. So caloric, caloric control would be hugely important. Uh, the second thing is the feeding of fresh, healthy foods. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's scary. Uh, I'll say that for a lot of people, the number one reason why people don't feed fresh, healthy foods, Dr. Jockers, is because they don't know how to do it. Yeah. Uh, they become afraid that they're unbalancing foods. Am I giving the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? There's a lot of wonderful uh, veterinarians out there today that put together these beautiful cookbooks that are fully complete and balanced to give you a little inspiration. But everybody has to start somewhere, so start slow. Yeah. Start with a teaspoon. You don't have to take that big giant leap into the waters and start cooking in pots and pans or, and, or <laughs> feeding raw chopping vegetables. And, and people get really scared with things like yeah. that. You know, um, a, a wonderful study that came out of the University of Finland, and I know I keep talking about a lot of studies, but how much effect would it have on the dog's body if you were just to take out a teaspoon of the processed food they were feeding and just put in a teaspoon of something fresh? Hmm. Um, the University of Helsinki found that animals that were just eating a bowl of processed food had really high levels of methionine and really high levels of homocysteine, yeah. two things that aren't really the best thing for an animal to be really high in. <clears throat> but And that by taking out a teaspoon of something processed and putting in a teaspoon of something fresh, to around 10 to 15%, there was a reduction. Yeah. Well, that homocysteine, we know that's linked with stroke, with Alzheimer's disease, higher levels of inflammation. We know that B vitamins right. play a key role with metabolizing homocysteine and turning it into this antioxidant glutathione. So right. when they put in the real food, increase the amount of B vitamins there. Yeah. Well said. And so, and, and, and that would be the big one. Just adding a little bit, right? Starting off somewhere, start having a little bit of a starting point, putting those fresh things for the bowl, reducing that processed food, bringing down um, those those blood glucose, which which is really important. And then, last but not least, and of course, probably the most important, is the stress in the household mm. and trying to, you know, we rely a lot on our pets um, as our as our, as our saviors, we come home stressed out after a long day. Your dog is the most excited person yeah. in the world to see you. You left for five seconds and I was like, Oh my God, you're home. I love you so much. Um, is reciprocating that love. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people can take advantage of that situation. Terrible day. They say to the animal, you know, I just, just get away from me right now. I don't want to mm -hmm. be near you. Um, man, I see that all the time. That really breaks my heart. Filming that documentary really taught me the importance of stress and what stress mm -hmm. can do to the body when it comes to growing cancer. Yeah. Um, so having that positive attitude, because of course, when you get that diagnosis that your dog or cat has cancer, you can't help it but to shut down. You can't help it but to be scared every single day looking at your dog, looking at your watch and saying, how long more, how long do I have you for? You know, waiting for that time limit to, to when that dog is going to be, the universe is going to take that dog away from you. That has a metabolic effect on your dog and that can actually speed up things that you don't want to be sped up in that body. So having that great attitude and just knowing that you could even heal with energy, that's not a woo-woo thing. That's science. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this this was amazing. What a great interview, Rodney. This has really been a privilege and an honor for me to be able to interview you for the Keto Edge Summit. And I've gotten so much out of this. Um, so just thank you so much again for being a part of it. And how do people find out more about you and about what you're doing? 
Yes, you know, I just really social media is in those platforms. We all have our platforms today. Um, I created a sort of a virtual world for people called Planet Pause. So whether you're on Facebook, planetpause.ca, because I'm here in Canada, so that CA is a big thing, or uh, whether you're on Facebook, planetpause.ca is there. And the Dog Cancer Series, um, you know, there's a Facebook page, dogcanceries.com. Um, we put together some of the most impactful tools that I think that a lot of pet owners might need today to help them out. Yeah. Um, and thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this yeah. Keto Summit. I'm really excited uh, that you're bringing the information to people. I know for uh, you know pet owners out there, inspiring just the pet owner will also inspire them themselves. And yeah. I think you're doing some great work. I'm a huge fan of yours, man. I've been following you since day one. And, and I really love what you're doing. And, and I'm very excited uh, to see uh, where Dr. Jockers steers this yeah. in the future. Well, thank you so much, Rodney. And definitely, if you're listening out there, check out Planet Pause. He is constantly putting out incredible videos, his Facebook Lives. I mean, you get so much great content that's extremely engaging. Um, so if you are, you're a pet owner, you definitely want to be on his site as far as that goes. And for sure, check out the Dog Cancer Series. Um, you will be motivated, empowered, and really inspired, ultimately, um, to make a change and to really love your pet deeper and, um, and help improve their health. And so um, thanks again, Rodney, for being on. And if you, the listener, have gotten value out of this interview, then I want to encourage you to consider owning the entire Keto Edge Summit for yourself. That way you get access to all of our expert interviews, all the bonus material, the transcripts, everything you need so you can be going through this material at your own time and you're able to get everything um, that you really you need to, to be able to pursue the keto edge lifestyle and improve your brain and your body and live your best life. And so um, if you would consider owning it for yourself, then we would be honored and we will see you on a future interview. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.